You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back, everyone, after we took a little, a little hiatus. Ascension Pentecost hiatus. I hope you had a chance to watch some of the wonderful educational opportunities here at the ICC for the gift of the Holy Spirit and and the Feast of Pentecost. We did take a little bit of a break, but don't worry because I'm going to give you all the goods that we would have talked about had we done a study on Pentecost here in this format with SGR and Annie. Because today, well, as we prepare for this Sunday, is the octave day. It's the eighth day yes. of Pentecost, which is, as I explained before, from a liturgical standpoint, is the culmination of the celebration. So liturgically, it's Pentecost. Cool. Yeah. By another name. It's Holy Trinity Sunday. Now, I don't know what, you know, your priest will be preaching this Sunday about this or that or about the Holy Trinity, but... I'm going to do what I do believe the church wants us to do regarding this feast day, this Sunday, and that is to reflect upon this Sunday as the, the fullness of the revelation of what we began last Sunday. Yeah. So we're going to talk a lot about Pentecost today. Cool. Yeah. I'm all so about it. Here we are. Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. Yep. Annie, give us our passages. All right. So our first reading is from the book of Exodus this weekend, chapter 34. And we're doing verses four through six and then verses eight through nine. The responsorial psalm is actually not a psalm. It's from Daniel chapter three. The gospel is a pretty famous passage, John 3, 16 through 18. And our epistle this weekend is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. You ready to go? go? Let's take a look. Yep. All right. Exodus Exodus chapter 34. 34, And we're actually starting halfway through verse four here. What's what's wrong with the first half of the first four? I have no idea. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Let's read our passages and we'll go back and pick up. Maybe it's confusing. We'll find out in a few minutes, no doubt. Okay, here we go. Early in the morning, Moses went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him taking along the two stone tablets. Having come down in a cloud, the Lord stood with Moses there and proclaimed his name, Lord. Thus, the Lord passed before him and cried out, the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in kindness and fidelity. Moses at once bowed down to the ground in worship, Then he said, if I find favor with you, O Lord, do come along in our company. This is indeed a stiff-necked people, yet pardon our wickedness and sins and receive us as your own. Mm. All right. So uh, what's going on here? I mean, what's been happening leading up to this this encounter between Moses? Well, I'm as confused as you are, Annie. I thought (laughs) Moses came down the mountain with the stone tablets. Now we'll find out Moses going up the mountain with stone tablets. tablets. What's happening? (laughs) All right. So we're in chapter 34. And if you open your Bibles, your Bible should be all marked up. And which you see on this page over here, all sorts of blue. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. For me, blue is the color of sin. I don't know. It's a cold color. So I use it. All right. So so when I open up, oh, yeah. 
Well, what what's the big sin, sin going of on on that page? Huh? A lot of sin going on. So, what's the big sin of the story of Exodus? A number of them, but this is the big one, and that is the sin of the golden calf. Right? Mm-hmm. Moses they had arrived on at Mount Sinai. Moses had gone up the mountain, and he's up there, and he's uh, you know doing what he's doing up there and all of a sudden boom there's this golden calf down below you can read for yourselves in verse 32 and he comes down and he throws down the stone tablets and breaks them on the ground when he comes down so um this is uh rather unfortunate for the people of god because on those stone tablets were the instructions for them not to do what they were doing (laughs) so now the people don't have the law and let's just stop for a second and ask, just, just going back in our ICC, Father Hezekiah's memory, what is the law, right? What is, what is his purpose? What is it? What is, you know, the, the law is the will of God for his people. And I said this many times, I think it's a good analogy. And that is the law in the Old Testament is your car manual in your glove compartment that tells you how to run your car. The law in the Old Testament, and by the way, in the New, because it's not different, it's fun, it's the same reality, but just revealed to us as fullest, is the will of God for his people. Well, what is the will of God? What is the will of God for his people? Well, that they thrive, that they're happy people, right? Like a happy car, right? If you use a car manual, happy car, right? Well, what does it mean for man to be happy? Well, it means for him to fulfill his nature. Well, what is the nature of man? It is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, we can ask ourselves, who is God? Which is, by the way, good, solid catechists. For all of our catechists that are participating in our Sunday Gospel Reflection, all of our deacons, all of our priests that participate in this, I got to tell you, when you're doing apologetics, you're doing catechesis, you're explaining the faith, you always ask, go back and say, who God is, right? This is what the church is doing for us this Sunday. It's saying, okay, you celebrated Pentecost to understand what you're celebrating. You got to go ask yourself then who God is. Then you're going to understand who you are made in his image and out his likeness. Well, we know who God is. God is love. And love is the giving of our life to the beloved, right? And God has lived this life of love from all eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are sick of hearing me say this because I say it in almost every Sunday gospel reflection because we always have to go back to this reality. Who is God? Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it. The commandments are God's will for his people to give of themselves to the beloved, that they live out a life of love, which is why Jesus says in the New Testament, when he's challenged by the lawyer, right? He says, who, who says, what is the greatest of the commandments? Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor. And in this, all of the law is fulfilled. Yeah. Right. So everything, all of the law, the Ten Commandments, all of the law is for this purpose that man might love and ultimately give his life to the Lord who has given his and, and then live out that image and likeness in his love for one another. Yeah. We're going to see this here in this passage and we should begin to understand what's going on with Moses in living a life of love with God and then with the people. OK, mm-hmm. unfortunately. There was a lot of loving going on in chapter 32 (laughs) of Exodus, but it was oriented at the wrong one. You see? Yeah. The the story of the, you guys know the story of the Exodus, the golden calf was a, the sin of, you know, well, you can see right there in verse chapter 32, verse six, chapter two, verse six, and the people rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings as before the golden calf and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play right you understand let's not get more explicit about it but this the the worship of the golden calf was a was a uh was a uh yeah let's just leave it at that so they were doing this type of thing but in the wrong way right in the with yeah so now in chapter 33 there is a, a very interesting, I really encourage you to read chapter 33, verses one, well, the whole of chapter 33, because it's very interesting. Moses goes and intercedes on behalf of the people because, because they have turned their back on God. Now, God and his people are adversaries. And Moses comes in between this conflict and says, wait a minute, and grabs both of their hands, right? Grabs the hand of God, the hand of the people and says, Lord, do not forget your people. 
Do not abandon your people. Save them. And this is whole conversation which happens in chapter 33, in which Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And God appears to change his mind, right? He appears to kind of back off of his initial, like, rejection of the people. Mm. Appears to change his, his, his decision about, about the people and, and agrees to not abandon them. But it is a matter of fact, this is kind of an anthropomorphic way of talking about the Lord who does not change. It is actually the people who do repent of their wickedness in chapter 33, verse four, when the people heard these evil tidings that the Lord was going, it was, there was an adversarial relationship. They mourned and no man put on his ornaments for the Lord had said, and so so forth like that. The whole of chapter 33 is, is a repentance of the people led by Moses who goes up to the Lord and says, please, Lord, have mercy upon your people. And of course the Lord is merciful. And so he does bestow his mercy. He does give them the, the, uh, the, the, the commandments again, right? He does give them love again, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where the background is going on. There's more to talk about here in this passage. This is kind of interesting. Was the original giving of the law, that was Pentecost, right? The 50 days after yeah. when the Feast of Pentecost remembers right. the original giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So it's um, interesting that we're now reading this on the, for the octave. I don't know. Yes. I just, I didn't make that connection ahead of time. I just thought that that was kind yeah, of, I hadn't really thought about that either, but it's very, yes, it's very suited to this, yeah, very cool. to this thing. But you know, Annie here, I mean, we get this in our passage, the Lord, the Lord, how does the Lord reveal himself? So he passes by Moses and how does he reveal himself? Yeah. This is what I'm like really wondering about because he like, he comes down in a cloud, he stands with Moses, proclaims his name, Lord, and then passes before him, you know, crying out the Lord, the Lord, a mercy. What, what, why is he doing this? I mean, Slow what's going to on anger, here? rich in kindness and fidelity. Yeah. Right. Well, what's that all have to do with? Well, you got to go back and read the story of chapter 32 and chapter 33, mm-hmm. right? Now, Moses, afraid of what's taken place, like a child who has done something wrong. And now he's like, Daddy, please don't. <laughs> no. And then, of course, the dad kind of puts his arm around his son and says, Son, you know, it's going to be all right, but, uh, you know, this, don't do this again kind of a thing. And this was bad. This was a bad and, decision. <laughs> and even, even if the father disciplines, he always disciplines for restoration, right? The, right. the Old Testament discipline of God's people is always for their, 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 their salvation, right? The, the Christian father always disciplines his child, not out of vengeance this by the way on a side note is a big problem most people's understanding of the crucifixion Mm, yeah but i'm gonna leave that one to the side and you can go listen to my talk sacrificed to god Mm. about about the about what jesus is doing in his passion and and, and crucifixion uh, in the midst of what they're doing to him but nevertheless our heavenly father is merciful is revealing himself in this way but but of course, this is Holy Trinity Sunday. So you got to ask yourself the question: Why is the church giving us this now? And I think mm-hmm. that the I think the key there is in our last verse, which is verse verse nine. And he said, "If now I have found favor in thy sight, O Lord, let the Lord, I pray thee, go in the midst of us." Although it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquities and our sins and take us, and here's the key, take us for thine inheritance, okay? Or in the New American, receive us as your own. There's the difference. In New America, it's kind of, take us as thine inheritance. And, and, And what we need to realize is that the term church, as it comes back into the Greek and into the Hebrew text, is it is the gathering literally the gathering there's many times in the old testament where the old testament gathering of god's people it's called a church it's the old testament church 
Yes. And the New Testament church is not something other than the Old Testament church. It is the fulfillment of the Old Testament church. And so we start to ask ourselves, what is the what's going on here? On the eight days ago, we celebrated the feast of really the feast of the church, right? The feast of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gathering of God's people. And now here in the Exodus chapter 34 on the feast of the Holy Trinity, we talk about the gathering of God's people with the Lord in their midst. And I think this is truly what the church is wants us to focus on here. I know there's a joke that says, this is, what do you call the uh, homilies or whatever this, this Sunday is? Sunday. Heresy <laughs> Sunday, right? Holy <laughs> Trinity Sunday. Because we have a lot of guys that get up and try to, you know, give big uh, revelations to do about the inner workings of the Holy Trinity. Well, Father Hezekiah isn't that smart. No, because this is the mysteries of God. And I think we better off to stand in awe, having received the revelation, and allow the mystery of the Holy Trinity to be revealed to us as it's intended to be revealed to us. God reveals himself to us in ways that we can understand, okay? And how is that? We understand how? Through our senses, we come to know things through the physical things that are around us. And God reveals himself to us in just this way. By revealing to us himself in the midst of the gathering, which is his church, his inheritance. People come to know the Lord through the love which his people have for one another. They come to know Christ through Christians. Yes. Mm -hmm. How did Jesus say they're going to come to know us by our love for one another? Because that love is revealing the love of the Holy Trinity. And so I really think that that rather than going and talking about active and passive spiration and all of these inner workings and the, the theologians have come with that, how the Trinity works exactly and the processions within God and all this. things, I, I think we should really meditate upon the gift of the church as a revelation of the lord yeah here he comes and he's he's and he's he's moses says please lord receive us as your own yeah dwell in our midst that those who are outside of us will come to know you through us and in fact this is exactly what he says in chapter 34 um 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 uh verse 15 and 16 verse 15 and he said to him if thy presence will not go with me right this is most talking to the to the lord if the will not go with me do not carry us up from here for how shall it be known that i have found favor in thy sight i and thy people is it not in thy going with us so that we are distinct i and thy people from all other peoples that are upon the face of the earth so it is it's the presence of the Lord in the midst of his people that makes his people be what they are. Yeah. And that is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And if he's not there, then they're not there. And then the Gentiles will be in darkness. Yes. Mm -hmm. But as a matter of fact, the Lord is slow to anger, rich in kindness and faithful while we are unfaithful. Right. And there's, there's the thing. The Lord hasn't changed. He's faithful. Yeah. He doesn't change. It's we who change. We who walk away. But when we repent, the Lord is always there accepting our repentance. And I think that Annie gives us a nice little launch, actually, into our responsorial Daniel. Yes. What? Oh, my gosh. Responsorial Daniel? Yeah, the resp <laughs> I didn't catch that. The responsorial Daniel. Because, yes. you know, the, we normally talk about responsorial Psalm. Well, we have a responsorial yeah. Psalm this this sunday it's just not from the book of psalms the book of songs because it's a song that's not in the songs it's in another song which is in the book of daniel yes yes daniel chapter three they're in the fiery furnace correct let's take, yeah let's take a look at daniel chapter three guys this is a pretty righteous story i love this story the story of shadrach meshach and to bed we go <laughs> I mean, oh, is no. that how you pronounce that? I That's never knew that. It's a joke with the kids, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Okay. Daniel chapter three, 
we jump into the midst of this story of this of this praising of the Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers, praiseworthy and exalted above all. Blessed is your holy name and glorious name, praiseworthy and exalted above all the ages. Blessed are you in the temple of your holy glory, praiseworthy and glorious above all forever. Blessed are you on the throne of your kingdom, praiseworthy and exalted above. What is all of this stuff going on? Well, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. What happens? They would remember Nebuchadnezzar put the big old hunk of jump up, junk up his big statue, and says to the people, "Bow down to this golden statue. This statue is your God." And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were in exile in Babylon, said, "We don't worship hunks of junk. We worship the Lord." And so Nebuchadnezzar goes into a rage, right, and has them bound hand and foot and they heat up the the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it should be and they throw them into the fire and the fire is so hot it comes blazing out of the fire and it actually it burns up the soldiers that threw them in and bingo nebuchadnezzar says you can read about all of this by the way in daniel chapters one two and three and then you'll be right into all of this business here that we are singing the praises of the Lord. So I recommend that. And what happens at that moment, Nebuchadnezzar starts to walk away and lo and behold, out of the fiery furnace, he hears, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers and so forth. He keeps saying, he keeps singing. He hears the three young men singing in there. And he says, what's going on? He looks. And he looks in, and what does he see? But these guys dancing, because of course, you get thrown in a fiery furnace, and of course you dance. You dance. They're dancing, and they're singing the praises of the Lord, and it's really quite amazing. You know, I was going to look up, this beautiful text is chanted in the Byzantine tradition, is chanted on Holy Saturday as the final of the Old Testament readings. And when the reader is chanting the text it's just plain chanted the whole story from chapter one is being read until we get to these verses and immediately the person doing the reading breaks into the singing of the praises and the people and the chanter back and forth singing the praises of the three young men in the fiery furnace it's very beautiful i don't have a recording of it so I'm going to give you the closest thing I can, and that is the chanting of Psalm 102, which is quite beautiful. And we're going to go ahead and uh, play this for you right now, this beautiful chanting of Psalm 102. They give you an example of singing the praises of the Lord. I encourage you also be singing the praises of the Lord as you hear this beautiful psalm chanted. Yeah. 
chanting of Psalm 102 and the praises of the Lord, blessing the name of the Lord, blessing all of his gifts, just like we see the young men in the fiery furnace singing the praise of the Lord. But I want to point out another little detail about the story. Super cool. Yeah. About God being in the midst of his people and not, not abandoning us in our time of trial, because look at what happens in Daniel chapter three. Now, if you're a, if you're a Protestant, I don't know. I think part of this is known in the Greek text. And so it may have been excised by the arch heretic, Martin Luther. You might have it. I don't know. Daniel chapter three, verse 23. Now the king's servants who threw them in and did not cease feeding the furnace fire with naphtha, pitch, tow, and brush. And the flames streamed out from the furnace 49 cubits, and it broke through and burned those of the Chaldeans whom it caught about the furnace. But the angel of the Lord came down in the furnace to be with Azariah and his companions and drove the fiery flame out of the furnace and made the midst a mist of the furnace like a moist, whistling wind. Now, my Bible, brothers and sisters, you ought to get pretty excited at this moment because the word for wind in Hebrew is ruach. Ruach. And ruach Mm. is the same word for wind and spirit. Yes. So, and this is what the fathers tell us about the crossing of the the Ark of of Noah. That he says, don't think the waters parted at the on their own no just like the creation it was the spirit of god hovering over that parted the waters same the waters receded because of the spirit of god yeah symbolized by the dove that noah sent forth same by the way when moses leads israel across the red sea it is by the breath of god the spirit of god the ruach 
Elohim, that the, that, the, that the waters part. And so similarly here, the fire parts and is pushed out. And then by the spirit of God being present among his people, and then this mist of water comes to cool the young men in the fiery furnace, a symbol of baptism. And then lo and behold, who do we find in the midst of his people? We're going to come down to chapter 3, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He said to his commanders, did we not cast three bound men in the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He answered, but I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Huh? This has always been interpreted by the Christians as a revelation of the word of God present among his people. That is Jesus as an angel, as we heard earlier, right? With the, here's the face of Jesus with the wings of the angels because it is before the incarnation. Wow. Is that beautiful? On this feast of the Holy Trinity, God's presence among his people, and they are then gathered about him to do what? that gathering, that church is meant to do, and that is praise the Lord, to say thank you to Jesus. This is what the church of the Old Testament was supposed to do. This is what the three young men in the fiery furnace did. This is what the church today is supposed to do. When you hear this psalm, this song of the three young men sung in the church, sing it out, because you, my brothers and sisters, saved by the waters of baptism, from not Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, but by the dictator of, the, of, of mankind, which is the devil. The fire being pushed out, and God once again makes his presence among his people, making us to be what we are. That is a gathering in the image and likeness of the gathering of God. Wow. We'll have a time to look at that uh, a little bit more in just a moment. Why don't we read a little bit from St. Hippolytus of Rome? He says, tell me, Nebuchadnezzar, when did you see the Son of God, that you should confess that this is the Son of God? And who stirred your heart that you should utter such a phrase? And with what eyes were you able to look into this light? And why was this manifest to you alone and to none of the satraps around you? Thus it is written, the heart of a king is, the, is in the hand of God, and of God, and of God is here, whereby the word stirred his heart so that he might recognize him in the furnace and glorify him. And this idea of ours is not without good ground. The scripture showed beforehand that the Gentiles would recognize him incarnate, whom while not incarnate, Nebuchadnezzar saw and recognized of old in the furnace and acknowledged to be the son of God. That cool? That's so yeah. cool. So cool. And how many people are going to know that sitting in church on Sunday? Well, a lot, because there's a ton of people. A ton of people joining us for STR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. So cool. Like it just brings alive um, the readings for I mean, this responsorial Daniel, yes. you know, like just a, a whole new light to it when you when you think of it that way. Andy, let's take a look at the gospel account. John chapter three, verse yep. 16. John chapter three, verse 16 is where we are beginning. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Hmm. All right. This is Jesus talking here, right? It doesn't actually tell us at the beginning, but I think it's Jesus, right? Um, this, to whom is he speaking and what's, what's going on in the life of Jesus right now? Yeah. Um, well, this is a good question, Annie, that we have to just contextualize a little bit here. 
I know this is one of those things that, you know, in fact, I just saw earlier this week, a guy up on the freeway over ramp here in Sacramento with a bright, 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 bright green t-shirt on like fluorescent. Uh-huh. And what did it say on it? John 316. Right? <laughs> Protestant brothers and sisters love this passage as well as we should also. passage. Yeah, I was going to say. But, but here's the thing is that we have to understand in context of who's being spoken to and why is this being said and why now, right? Yeah. There's a story underneath the story. And, um, and that's the story of Nicodemus. We've talked about the story of Nicodemus quite a bit here at the Institute of Catholic Culture through our SGR. There are new members of our study, so I don't want to leave them behind. So I'm going to just quickly, quickly try to contextualize it. And that's how I'm going to do it. Jesus has already, in chapter 2, verse 13, gone to Jerusalem and has made a bit of a, a stirring up, if you will, right? He drove out the guys from the thing. I mean, he was acting like a prophet who comes into the temple to cleanse it. He's already turned the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. And now he's there at the Passover feast. He's driven out all the money changers. He said, destroy this temple, rebuilt in three days. And the, he's being watched, Okay. He's being watched because he was also known, by the way, he was at the Jordan River. So all of this information, I heard his, the father, this is my beloved son. Oh, there's all sorts of talk going on in Jerusalem about this guy, okay? Um, and who's asking questions? Well, the guys are most interested, and that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are pretty, they get a bad rap in the Gospel of John, but they were preparing themselves for the coming of the Messiah. So they're interested in guys having making messianic claims or that there was questions about whether it was the Messiah, right? So now in chapter three, verse one, Nicodemus comes to him, but he comes to him by night. And this is not good in the Gospel of John, right? To be in the night is to be outside in a way, right? Yeah. Because Jesus is the light. But now Nicodemus is going to come to the light. But Nicodemus is going to struggle. Now, in chapter 3, Nicodemus is going to say, we know who you are, right? Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know who you are, a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, unless one is born again, and he explains this, born of water and the spirit, he cannot see in other words nicodemus no you don't know who i am because you can't know who i am and why is that because in luke chapter 7 verse 30 we don't have to go there right now luke chapter 7 verse 30 for sake of time you can go there if you want pause this video it says the pharisees refused the baptism of john right. in other words they refused the baptism of repentance and nobody is going to come to the lord who has not repented not going to happen. Impossible. And so Jesus goes after Nicodemus. And by going after Nicodemus, he's going after all the Pharisees. Because behind this story are all the other Pharisees that are standing in the darkness and not coming to the light. Now, you think I'm making too much of it. But you're like, well, how do you know that, Father Hezekiah? Well, I know that because in chapter 5, not that far down the road here, chapter 5, of john jesus comes back now a second time to jerusalem for the feet for, for another one of the feasts and he goes and he heals a paralytic okay. and in verse 18 it says this was why the jews sought all the more to kill him we are in chapter five of the gospel of john hey we're not in chapter you know 16 17, 18, 19. No, they had set themselves against Christ from day one. In fact, in the gospel of John, really, the gospel of John culminates. What would you say? What would you say, Annie? When is the culmination of the gospel of John? What's, where does it really reach its climax? Huh? Come on, Catholics. The most famous chapter in the gospel of John is? Chapter one. Come on, chapter six. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say the feeding of the 5,000 and the bread of life discourse. Yeah. But as far as the gospel of John's coming, it really doesn't, it's really comes to a climax at the wedding at Cana. Oh, yeah. 
when Jesus goes and, and, and we've done studies about the Wenikina at the Institute of Catholic Culture before, but really it's at the Wenikina because the whole of Gospel of John is written with a background to the words in the beginning, that is the, the Garden of Eden, right? In which there's a breakdown between, but not, not only between God and man, but between man and woman, when the woman starts speaking with the serpent, and all of a sudden, the first divorce really enters in. This division enters in. Jesus is going to come. The first thing he's going to do after he's baptized, he's going to go and he's going to, to restore marriage. And that's what the devil hates. Yeah. And this has everything to do with our Sunday. Because marriage is meant to be a revelation of the, of the life of God, the communion of persons. And the devil hates it. So that's why marriage is under attack. Because if the devil can destroy marriage, if he can break marriage apart, he will begin to destroy the revelation of God on earth. Man who is made in his image and likeness made for communion. Yeah. So the gospel of John really comes to a climax right there in the midst of the, of, of the wedding at Cana, um, in which the cross really comes into view. And it's from that that the gospel drives to the cross. The whole way from that point on is a spiral to the cross. And so from this point on, really, you have this background of the evil one who is seeking the downfall of Jesus. And that really comes out here in this story of chapter three. But, but coming back to our text now, because you're thinking, oh, this guy's, you're off on that toot off way off in this distance. This is a conversation that happens with Nicodemus. It comes to a climax here in verse 16 and following. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes Pharisees in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, I just need to come back now to chapter three and just above it into chapter two, because this is a bookend to something that was said just a moment ago, just to introduce the story of Nicodemus. Chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not, and the Greek word here is the same, did not believe himself to them. Because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man oh, of the God. Pharisees who Jesus did not trust. He would not believe himself to him because he knew that the faith of these guys was paper thin. Yes? But. He did not abandon them, for he also knows that those who come to the light will, 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 will be enlightened. And so the fullness of this text does not end in verse 18. Let's go ahead and read verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness, Pharisees, rather than light, because their deeds were evil. What? I mean, Jesus, that's pretty harsh. Well, it's not harsh mean. if you know the story behind the story. Yeah. They're already seeking to kill him. I'm convinced of that. This is why in chapter five, in verse 19, it says, this is why they sought all the more to kill him. Yeah. Because they were already plotting his death earlier in the text. But look. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he, Nicodemus, who does what is true, comes to the light, Nicodemus, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. Nicodemus is going to be the story of the gospel because Nicodemus is going to be the one that came from darkness, but came to the light and remained in the light. And Nicodemus will be the one that stands up for the Lord defends him and ultimately risks his own life to receive Nicodemus's and receive Jesus's body and to join the company of the apostles that gathering of the Lord 
in the midst of which the Lord dwells. Well, John 3.16, you know, it is a, a nice verse to hold up at a baseball game or on a big bright green shirt on the highway or, you know, whatever. Well, can, can we just do a little theology on this business though? It's yeah. the same theology I've been doing. It's the only theology Father Hezekiah knows. This first verse is the whole business. That's why 316 is held up. Yeah. God so loved the world because God could not do otherwise. <laughs> yeah. If God is going to act toward the world, he's going to love because that's who he is. And love is the giving of one's life to the beloved. So, of course, he pours out the sun to the world so that everyone who believes, what is belief? Is the total giving of our life to the beloved. Belief, faith is a form of love. Yes? Everyone who believes in him might not perish. Why? Because now the two have become one. God has given his life and we have given our life to him. And now the life is ours his we have eternal life within us and therefore we there it is we might have eternal life because of this relationship of love which is the foundation of the church i give you my favorite quote of all time saint porphyrios who says the church is without beginning without end and eternal just as the triune god on this sunday of the trinity just as the triune God, her founder, is without beginning, without end, and eternal. She is uncreated, just as God is uncreated. She existed before the ages, before the angels, before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, as St. Paul says. She is a divine institution, and in her dwells the fullness of divinity. She is an expression of the richly varied wisdom of God. She is the mystery of mysteries. She was concealed and was revealed in the last times. The church remains unshaken because she is rooted in the love and wise providence of God. The three persons of the Holy Trinity constitute the eternal church pentecost wow today is the feast of pentecost it is the feast of the revelation of the holy trinity revealed in the gathering of god's people who are made in his image and after his likeness and in the midst of us the lord truly dwells let me share with you a quotation from saint john chrysostom Many of the more careless sort, using the loving kindness of God to increase the magnitude of their sins and the excess of their disregards, speak in this way, saying, there is no hell, no future punishment. God forgives all sins. Sounds rather Sounds so modern, John Chrysostom. <laughs> but let us remember that there are two advents of Christ, one past, the other to come. The first was not to judge, but to pardon us. The second will not, this, the second will be not to pardon, but to judge us. It is of the first that he says, I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But the second, he says, when the son of, when, when the son shall come in glory of his father, he will set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the sheep will gather it into life and the goats to eternal punishment. But because he is merciful, for a time he pardons instead of judging. For if he had judged immediately, everyone would have been rushed into perdition. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't you see the unspeakable surplus of his loving kindness, my brothers and sisters, this time is given to us to gather together as a church that when the Lord comes, he finds us in his image and after his likeness, the one who is the eternal church. As St. Irenaeus says, the glory of God is man fully alive. And of course, man fully alive is us doing what God has done from all eternity. This is why Father Hezekiah gets on his hobby horse about the vending machine approach to the church. It cannot be. It is an abuse of the church. The church by its very nature is meant to be our gathering place in which we learn to live together in the light of the one who has lived together from all eternity. Which is precisely what St. Paul happens to be encouraging the yes. people of Corinth 
uh, in our second reading. Second Corinthians. Yep. Chapter, chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13, the last chapter. And by the way, we just finished our study of Corinthians. And this yeah. is chapter 13, the final chapter, verse yep. 11 through 13. Here we go. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Mend your ways. Encourage one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the holy ones greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Mm. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? The old, the, that's the ancient way of giving the sign of peace is to give each other a kiss on the lips. Yes, that's the early practice. We hear, we see that in regular in the church father. So I suggest for all those that would like to restore the sign of peace in the church, we should restore the ancient practice. Yes, if you want the sign of peace to be given, stop the stupid handshakes and the high fives and go at it the way Christians had originally done and then just turn to your person next to you in the pew and give them a nice big kiss big right on the lips. Smack on the lips. St. Ambrose says, if there is one grace, one peace, one love, and one fellowship on the part of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, surely there is one operation. And where there is one operation, certainly the power cannot be divided or the substance separated. On this feast of the Holy Trinity, let it be our prayer that the Lord once again send his all Holy Spirit upon our church in a most powerful way that we might reveal on earth the love and the life of the Holy Trinity who is lived from all eternity. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.